weeks now. And I actually think this is a lot more important. Um, it's, it's interesting that the day this went down, we had all kinds of uh, news about this. And, we, and since then, the only real news we're getting from this is reaction news. It isn't, it isn't carrying news anymore. And, uh, and this was the whole um, FBI raid on uh, Trump's um, residence in Mar-a-Lago. Now, regardless of whether you're a Trump fan or not, really has nothing to do with what I'm going to say about this. You, you can hate Trump and still recognize that this is a very dangerous and bad thing that has happened. That this is, that the biggest, largest police force and federally run, government federal run police force in the United States just raided an ex-president's home. Now, here's some things that people don't know, is about a month and a half before they raided uh, his home, the FBI went to his house at his invitation and his lawyer's invitation to come look at any document they wanted to look at. They spent a few hours there. He took them around. He said, is there anywhere in here you want to look at? They, they, he didn't ask for a, a warrant or anything. He invited the FBI. Now, you're not hearing that on any of the news stations. But he invited them and said, would you like to look at any of this stuff? Because you've asked me about these documents, which had already been declassified. And he says, look at whatever you want. After about three or four hours, they kind of looked around, talked to him a little bit and said, no, everything here is good. We don't have a problem. And then they left. Then they came back and raided those exact same documents, those exact same rooms for the news. Now, here's why I'm saying this. If you think, well, that doesn't affect me, it doesn't matter. Guys, be careful because the next group, not individuals, but the next group is the church. That's where this is going. This is why we saw four or five years ago where Christian organizations, uh, 501c3s, um, any kind of ministry, conservative groups, any of that kind of stuff were handpicked and targeted by the IRS. Now the IRS just hired 87,000 um, agents, armed agents. For what purpose? They didn't change their mind or their game plan since they were attacking Christian organizations. They still hate Christian organizations. The FBI is as corrupt as the Nazi regime in World War II, and they hate Christians. Now, if you're saying, man, pastor has lost it. This is over the top. I'm, then, then I pray you're right and I'm wrong. But I don't think so. And guys, we better be paying attention because they are coming for the church. Now, one of the things that we're doing, we're, we're starting this Wednesday night. Uh, we're going to go for at least a couple Wednesday nights, maybe a third. But um, James Gray, or J James, raise your hand. Um, James Gray and I have been talking about this. This is what James does. I'm just going to sit there and I'm mostly eye candy. James is going to be like <laughs> the real information. But you don't want to look at James the whole time. So, so we're going we're gonna to do this together. But um, we're going to talk about what happens when uh, the church is no longer allowed to meet. Now, you guys know my philosophy on this. We're going to meet until they drag me off to jail. Literally, I... I I, I understand that's a potential future thing, okay? But uh, there's going to come a time when the church in America is not going to be able to meet together. 
What, what is your plan? Not what is my plan. What is your plan? How are we going to do this? What's, what's going to happen? We've got some really cool stuff we're going to talk about and some stuff that I've even been um, processing this last week. Uh, how we're going to put some stuff together and, and look at some of these kind of things. Uh, what, what is your, who are you shepherding? Who is shepherding you? What is your network? What does that look like communicating together? And then when it gets to the point where the church literally has to go underground, what does that look like? Uh, we're seeing this all over the world. I've been in many places around the planet where the church is, you, you get put in jail or killed for being a Christian. I've been in those places. I've been in, in China where that's happening. I've, I've worshiped with the underground church in China where you can't sing out loud because they'll hear you and put you in jail. So they, they mouth the words, and they don't clap. They just do this. I'm not making this stuff up. Because they can't clap, it's too loud, and somebody will notice. And the hunger and the desire they have to know God, the, the, just the, the presence of God among these people in many different settings is just amazing, absolutely amazing. And so we're going to be looking at that over the next uh, few Wednesday nights. Now, with all that said, I've been processing this um, for a while. And, um, and then uh, Christy Ballinger said something to me uh, sometime this, this last week. And, and, uh, and it kind of it, it really helped me kind of see uh, the, 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 the cohesion here. But um, she, she brought me a book that... Um, She's going to be looking at maybe doing a life group or something about, and she wanted me to read the book. And so, but she said, you know, it's, it's just to the place in our country right now where we're really just kind of bruised. We're kind of beat up and bruised. And I, and I got to thinking about that in, in relationship. I mean, my message is already done, but got to thinking about in relationship to this and thinking about all the stuff that happens within our life and who we are as people. And there's this thing that happens on a personal level and then like a, a micro level within your immediate uh, context, people in your life, those kind of things, <clears throat> family, where you go through some very difficult things together. Uh, we've been, for whatever reason, Lynn and I have been having a lot of conversations over the last two or three weeks with people about some, some very difficult stuff that they've gone through with, with their families, with their children, with, um, you know, um, disease, all this kind of stuff. And and to think about, okay, when the pressure comes on, what does that look like? And, and um, you can't be alive very long at all before you go through those kind of things. You're going to go through some big stuff. You're going to go through some pressure things. And then what do you do and how do you deal with that? And, and there's always been this thing, at least from my perspective, there's always been this other element. Like if, you, like if you looked at layers of life and interaction and stuff like that, there's these other layers that are kind of above this where you can um, get away from the other stuff, right? You can get away from the, 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 the pressures, the pressures of either family or life or, or maybe a, a tragedy in life or whatever, and, and, you, and you have these things that you can rise above this, okay? Uh, we just went to a um, Rockies baseball game the other day, and, and I, I love baseball. I love going to baseball games. Um, I know some people think it's like this boring whatever sport, but it's not. You just don't understand it. But I, I love that kind of stuff. And those have always kind of been outlets for me. Uh, pro sports, I mean, we, we see those things as outlets, that kind of stuff. And then it seems like society began to attack this. And all of a sudden, pro sports was more about 
um, like the police department or it was about um, some kind of racism thing or something else. And, and all of a sudden, something that was very um, freeing and I could just kind of release into that and just enjoy, you know, kind of take all the stuff off my mind and not worry about it. Now it becomes a pressure thing that I can't even respect it anymore enough to watch it. And Lynn and I started, now personally for me this started, this is just a personal thing, is when the NFL and specifically ESPN started attacking Tim Tebow. I, I, that, that turned me. The guy's an amazing guy, a wild, crazy character with him that was, was full of God and an, an amazing athlete and a great quarterback. I don't care what any of the goofballs say. And they start attacking him. And then all of a sudden it's changing. And now we, we're, we hate the police and we hate our country and we won't even stand for the national anthem. And it got to the point, Linda and I haven't watched football for three years. I can't do it. I was watching this year because they got Russell Wilson. I love Russell Wilson. And I'm thinking, I just still can't do it. I just can't get that bad taste out of my mouth. And then you look at all these other things. We were talking about this the other day about... Um, people, you know, just getting away for a vacation or something for a few days. And then, and then the government, not a, not a disease, the government took this away from us by locking the country down, doing all kinds of stuff. And you couldn't even like, a couple years ago, Lynn and I went to Cancun. And um, while we're in Cancun, first you got to do all the masks and do all the other kind of stuff. And we called ahead of time and, and to the little resort place we went to and, and asked, are you going to make us masks and everything there? Because if you are, I'm not coming. That's, this is dumb, and I'm not coming. And they said, no, we, we're definitely not about this. So we get there, and when we, land, when we check in, they said, well, to leave, it's the law of Mexico that you have to get a COVID test. I'm like, what? Okay, so what happens if I test positive for COVID? They said, well, it's, the, it's our, our law here that you have to stay for two weeks. Oh, darn. At, gets better. At the cost of the resort. And I said, (coughs) (laughs) I told him, now Linda may be fine, but I don't feel good. She may have to leave. I got to stay. And then I asked the guy, I said, "Um, what uh, what is the rate right now of people testing positive for COVID? He said, we have none. I'm like, surprise. (laughs) Thousands of people, none of them have tested positive for COVID. What a coincidence. So, um, you know, you get all these things and all this stuff, pressures in life. And and maybe maybe it's not the same for you, but Lynn and I's hobby as a couple, our pastime as a couple, is to go eat somewhere. (laughs) That's what we do. I know every restaurant in Springs. In fact, if you ask me directions, I'm going to tell you directions from a restaurant to somewhere. To do, that's how I know. Well, you go to this restaurant, you turn left. And, but that's our thing. And then, then you can't, you had the distance. You had to mask. You had to do all this kind of stuff. And another thing was pressured and taken away to the point where when you're going through all the pressures of life, it didn't seem like you had any outlets. And then we're locking down in houses and kids are locked down in houses. All this stuff, and it just got worse and worse. And we didn't seem to have it into the... I think Christy's uh, verbalization of this is right. You just get to the point where you're so beat up and you're so bruised, you just don't have any reserves left. You just don't have anything emotionally and relationally and all this kind of stuff. So, so here's what I, what I want to do. This is the goal, and I'll tell you right up front so we can, so you can be processing this with me 
um, through this morning is my goal is before you leave here this morning that you know without a shadow of a doubt, you personally, not as a collective, not as a group, not as the church, but that you know personally that Jesus loves you. That's it. That Jesus loves you. And for me, that, that's what gets me through. When other things are not working, when everything else seems to be broken or, or messed up or whatever the case is. But you know what? Jesus loves me. That he just loves me. I, I was driving in my Jeep the other day, and, and I've done a lot of modifications to my Jeep, and everything that I do makes it uh, worse gas mileage and louder. But I like them all. So, so I didn't have the top on, and, you know, and, the, and there's no back on it and all this kind of stuff. And so it just sounds like a big wind turbine running down the road. But I can pray and sing. Nobody hears me. I don't know if they hear me. They could be hearing me. I don't know. I can't tell if they hear me. But I, it's just like my little place, and I was driving down the road the other day, and I was just talking to the Lord. And it got to the point where I almost had to pull over because just the, the presence of God... Just, just, it's like he wraps his arms around me and says, you know what, you and me today, we got this. No matter what today is, no matter what's going on, we got this. So, so that's what I'm wanting to happen with all of us this morning. Before you leave here, that you know that Jesus loves you. That's the simplicity of it. So I'd love to start in, in Genesis with this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing... The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. We know that God never changes. He's the same. I say this all the time. Genesis 1, 2, 3 is how God designed it. And then when we get toward the end of Revelation, with some places along the way, when we get toward the end of Revelation, God puts it back together the way he had designed it to be in Genesis 3. It's not different. When you get to the end, we always say, well, this is the, God's plan now. This is his new thing that he's doing. No, it's not. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the revelation of what he had intended from the beginning. We just, we, we broke it. As human beings, we broke it. And so everything from Genesis 3 to the end of Revelation is the story in the middle where we're, where we're trying to know God and we can't do it by ourselves. So Jesus drops down in the middle of it and says, you've got to do this through me. But I'm going to get you back to God. We're going to build this back uh, relationship back with God. And so, so that's, that's in Genesis 1, 2, 3, we get to see the stuff. This is what God designed it to be. All right, so God's walking in the garden. They hear him walking. I, I don't know exactly how all of this works out. And, and I know that there are many people throughout the church world that thinks that somehow this is metaphor or it's, it's not real. It's, guys, this is the word of God. This is real. This is exactly what happened. So somebody said to, to me the other day, they were talking about evolution. <clears throat> and we, and we, there were a few of us that were talking, and they said, um, evolution, God is... God is um, smart enough and big enough to have used evolution to create everything. I'm like, sure, I don't disagree with that. But he's also smart enough to have wrote it down if he did. Why did he leave that out? That seems to be a big one, don't you think? He created the heavens and the earth. Oh, yeah, and it also took a million plus or a billion years. or I don't know how high we're going nowadays. It just keeps getting more and more, right? So at what particular point do you say, okay, can God do this? Well, yes. Is he, is he big enough? He's more than big enough. So the question is, all right, then what do I do with this? 
The same God that is of today, yesterday, he's going to be forever. He came and walked in the garden. He did. So I think he's still wanting to do that. You understand what I'm saying? He still wants to hang out with you and he still wants to walk with you. He didn't change. That's what he was doing when it was the way he wanted it. That was his plan. That's how he designed it. That's what he was doing. We're the ones who changed it. He didn't. And so the, the, the question for me, for you, is how do I see God in relationship to me? Do I see God that way? Is he, does he love me like that? Does he want to hang out and walk with me? So they hid from the Lord God among the trees, and the Lord called, called to the man, where are you? And I think he's still doing that. I think he's still calling to us every day, where are you? And, and maybe, let, me, let me say that differently. I think every single day he's saying, hey, would you like to hang out with me? I, I know you're just on your way to work, but wouldn't you like to turn the radio off maybe for a minute or two and you and I just talk? I mean, you, you can come up with all kinds of process of how to look at this and think about this and understand this. But the Lord desires you to have a relationship with him. He wants to be close to you. He loves you. That's the reason. My, my kids will ask me every now and then, um, you know, like for birthday or Christmas or something, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? You know what my answer is? This, this is not me being cheesy, okay? This is not me being some kind of cliche. You know what I want for Christmas from my kids? Just to be with them. Just to get them all together. Now, after about an hour, we're, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> that first hour is glorious. <laughs> but just to, just to be together. Just to hang out, to interact, to talk, to be together. I really think that's because Jesus put that in my spirit. Because that's what he wants from me. You throw my grandkids in the mix, we could do this for hours. You know, my, I, I called, we, call, we talked to the grandkids all the time. Called my grandkids a, a couple days ago or something like that, and, and my son had to go somewhere. He was holding the phone. My son had to go somewhere, so he handed the phone to, to um, his daughter, my granddaughter, and so she likes to hold the phone right here when she's talking to me, and so um, I had a great conversation with her left nostril, and we were... We're talking about this, and she's talking about Papa this and Papa this. And she said, Papa, I wrote you a song. Do you want to hear it? Well, yeah. So she put the phone down she, she, on the piano, and she goes to the piano, and she's playing this song that she's, she said she wrote, but it felt like it was really, like, spontaneous. <laughs> and, um, and she's playing and singing, and then every now and then she said, Papa, can you hear me? I can hear you, baby. And I thought to myself, I could do this all day long. Just sing to me all day long. I don't care. Just sing to me. And I thought, you know, I, God wants closeness with us so much. And we got so many other things that we're doing. So many things. Because we're important people, right? And, and, we, and we've got lives to live. And we got this to do. And we got these things to do. And, and I got I to gotta go make money. And, I gotta, and we got so much stuff. And the Lord just wants us to sit there. And I don't think there's that much difference between the Lord sitting there and, and listening to us sing to him. Don't you think that no matter who you are, when you sing to the Lord, he likes it? Even if you're singing somebody else's song, which we do most of the time, right? We sing other people's songs. 
You should try just making one up to the Lord. I promise you he would love it. The scripture actually tells us that. And, and, then, and then Bubby, her little brother, two years old, he came over and he started joining in. Because I don't think he felt like she was getting enough low end on the piano. So he came and joined in. And uh, now I'm listening to him fight. <laughs> but I did hear her saying, I thought, this is clever. She kept trying to get Bubby to stop playing the piano with her. Because this was her song that she had written to Papa. And finally, I heard her say to him, Bubby, wouldn't you like to go jump on your bed? (laughs) (laughs) And then I hear, yup. And and that was it. No more more low end. I don't know if he went and jumped on the bed, but he seemed in favor of it. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 45, guys. You understand. Now, this is one of the things that Satan attacks because he doesn't like the things about God, and he doesn't like the things about God with us. Right? And so Satan attacks. That's why he attacks marriage. That's why he attacks family. That's why he attacks morality. Because he doesn't like anything that would make us um, look like God or be closer to God or follow in the footsteps of God or whatever. Satan attacks. Well, this is one of the things that creation. God created the planet for one purpose to put us in the middle of it. That's it. He created this planet for you and I to know Him, to be. And to know him. And this is where all the environmental stuff comes from and everything else is Satan is attacking that part of the story. It's just another part, but he's attacking that part of the story. You, you didn't evolve. You were created and you were put in the middle of this planet. And, and then we, we take God out of it and we put this Mother Earth mentality or, or whatever the case. And then we begin to worship this thing called the creation or Mother Earth or however you want to do it. Go green. We, 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 we want to worship all of this stuff. And, and then we have the, 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 just the blatant arrogance to think that as a tiny little human, I can break this planet. I can mess it up. That I can destroy it. Specifically by starting a car. When, 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 I think it, the last number I've seen is like 98% of pollution in the world comes from cow flatulence. <laughs> I want to make sure I said a word that was okay. We are so arrogant and so humanistic. I tell anytime a waitress comes to the, to the table of a restaurant and they say, would you like a straw? I always say, no, I love the planet. <laughs> and, and every time they go, and you know, they want to laugh, but they don't know. And I'm just staring at them. <laughs> I'm not going to give an opening. I need to know what you think. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. So look at this. Starting in verse 18. For the Lord is God. He created the heavens and the earth, and he put everything in place. This isn't random. It didn't just happen. God designed this thing. But here is the reason. He made the world to be lived in. We, we think, we think that we've gotten so far in some of this crazy environmental stuff that you can hear this easily. You Google this, you'll get hundreds of articles about this. That the problem with the planet right now is the disease called humans. That we're the problem. We're not only not the problem, 
We're the only reason it exists. God made it to put us here. For what purpose? To know him, to serve him, to be close to him. (coughs) He made the world to live in, not a place of empty chaos. And then what is the next thought process from God? I made the planet. I put you in there specifically to live on the planet. I'm the Lord. In other words, recognize this. He's the one that's in charge. He's sovereign over this. I am the Lord and there's no other. I publicly proclaim bold promises. I don't whisper obscurities in some dark corner. Paul even addresses this in Acts chapter 17 when he's talking to the people that have all the gods and he says, there, you have one that says there's an unknown God, right? He said, let me tell you who he is. And then he says this great statement. He says, people for centuries have been... Um, one way to say it is they have been seeking around or searching around in the dark to find God. And then he says, and they always will. This is, this is like Paul's interpretation of this. Because he says, God says, I publicly proclaim bold promises. You know, even these mountains behind me, God put those there to declare him Not just ambiguously, but specifically to declare him to you. So you know there's a God. Every time we get new people in the building, in the church, or or just even sometimes we have people that come during the week to the church, whatever, if they ever step in the sanctuary, almost everybody that ever shows up always says, Wow, I love that view. And then we had some people here this last week that came in. They knew we're building, and they said, when you build, are you going to mess with that view? And I said, no, it's the other way around. We're making the windows um, a little bit higher, so we take out the traffic because we don't want those earth-killing things out there being seen. (laughs) And um, we're going to make it a little higher, a little wider, a little taller, bigger, so you can see the mountains better. Because, guys, that's the best sermon you'll ever see right there. Better than anything I can ever preach. And so, so we're going to do this. Now, here's the thing. This is something that came along with this. Is, so we've already, we, you know, we've already designed it. We're already into the construction project. Part of it, we just haven't got to the actual facility. Everything we've done is underground. One of the things we realized is because of that, we had all the sound light people out here. This was a year or two ago, and they're measuring things, looking at all this stuff. And they said, you know, with all of that windows and light, you can't have regular projectors like this. They just won't work. They, they don't make them powerful enough to display on there. It's like, what else, what other option do we have? They said, well, you can do an LED wall. <laughs> can you now? And so we prayed about it, and uh, we felt like we could sacrifice for God <laughs> that way. They actually came and brought some panels to us and showed us. Set them up in here, and then we stood at the back. They said, this is about the distance you'll see, and they turn them on. I was like. (laughs) Because it's a sacrifice we have to make, right, for the kingdom of God. So, this, you know, we do this stuff, and we think somehow, we think somehow that, that God is hiding from us, right? We think somehow that, that he's like a scavenger hunt to know him and to get close to him. 
And, and he says here, I, I don't whisper obscurities in dark corners. He said, I would not have told the people of Israel to, Israel to seek me if I could not be found. Do you understand the importance of that sentence for you and me right now today? Not even just back then, but now. God would not say he was here. He would not have told us he was here. If he didn't desire us to know him and he was going to make himself available to us. It would be the utmost of cruelty for God to tell us he's there but not allow us to have a relationship with him. Not only does he tell us he's here, but he tells us he's here because he wants us to know him, to be close to him. As regardless, this is something that we get in our heads because of it's just it's being human. It's very difficult for us not to think this way sometimes. But we think, well, I did this, or I'm too bad, or I haven't been close to God lately. You know, that, that's something that really gets, I think, the average Christian on a regular basis is, oh, it's been a few days or maybe a few weeks, I don't know where you're at with this, since I've really talked to God or I've read the Bible or whatever. So now you feel guilty of, for praying, and so then you don't pray because you feel guilty because you hadn't been praying. Right? Anybody besides me ever done that? And God's going, what do I have to do? I just want to hang out with you. And you're making this so difficult. I just want to hang out with you. He says, I, I wouldn't have told you I was there if I couldn't be found. And he said, I, the Lord, speak only what is true, declare only what is right. So the first thing is that all of creation exists for us just to know that the Lord is there. He loves us. He's got a plan. Well, here's the second part of this is that God loves us more than we could ever know. You'll never get to the end of God's love. You'll never, I'm saying even after you step into eternity, you're never going to, uh, you're always going to be discovering more of the love of God for you specifically. For eternity, you're going to be knowing more of that. He is, but see, part of our deal is we marry Jesus Christ and we spend the rest of eternity being loved by him and loving him. And it continues. Now, Jeremiah chapter 29, this is a verse that, that is popular. You know, it's written in script everywhere you go in people's houses. And, you know, and I, I saw it recently in a bathroom. And, and all, this is a wonderful scripture. But here's the thing. I think sometimes we read this stuff and we just kind of pass by it. The Lord is trying to tell us something. Now, you, right now, today... He starts off, he says in verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. So here's the question you have to ask yourself. I can't do this here. I can't. This is totally you. You've got to ask yourself, do I really think that the Lord has plans for me? Do I really think he has plans for me? Not, not for us as the church, but for me. Do I know that he has plans for me? Or, or is he looking through the file, and he gets to Scott, and he's like, Scott, I've got nothing. Is that the way you think? I've processed it that way before. Well, I don't have a problem with him having plans for Rick, but does he have plans for me? Or, and here's even worse, he gets to your name, Scott, oh yeah, I have plans for you, but they're really horrible. They're, you're not going to like your existence. And we think that that's what God's got for us. That's how he's thinking, or that's what he's got planned. He said, 
These plans, they are for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. How much do you really believe that? We disqualify ourselves from God's plans that are good and, and our future and hope. We disqualify ourselves from that by somehow thinking that we don't fit some criteria that we've come up with that the Lord didn't come up with. That we have, a, we have some kind of qualifiers. Well, you don't know my past or you don't know, I, or I said this or I did this or I, I can't or all the different things that we come up with. And God is just saying, look, I have plans for you. And they're pretty amazing, but you got to stop fighting me. you got to let me do this. I, I remember one of the things that I learned when we were doing, when I um, was in the Navy and we were learning um, rescuing people in the ocean, right? And you, and you practice this in swimming pools and stuff like this. And uh, one of the things that you learn is when you jump in to save somebody and you get to them, some people when they're drowning, they freak out. And they uh, cling to you and they grab onto you and now you're both going to drown, right? And, and they teach you different ways to, to turn them, spin them, get them, whatever. They're and then one of, the re, one of your options is knock them out. And they never let us practice that part. I was like, I got this. You're my partner. Let's go. But that's actually a thing because Why? Because you're resisting, you're fighting, you're resisting, you're fighting. And, and I wonder how many times God is just thinking, if I could just knock them out. But see, here's the thing. He wants you to want to go along with him. He's got plans for you. He does. You've got to decide if you're going to go along. They're already there. John chapter 14, verse 18. He says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. How do you disqualify yourself from that sentence? Think about it. The Lord wants to love you and to reveal himself to you. That's it. You don't have to add to that. He wants to reveal himself to you and he wants to love you. But you've got to make the decision. You've got to make the call there. Do I believe that? Do I not believe that? I'm saying you personally. It's amazing how easy we can have this for everybody else, but not necessarily for us. The third thing is that God will cover and protect us. This is one of the things that I just, I just hear so much like a discussion out there in the church world that, that um, God, you're going to have to go through all the same stuff everybody else does, and there's nothing you can do to change this. And I think there are so many places in Scripture that God says he's going to rescue you, and he's going to protect you, and he's going to cover you, and he's going to provide for you, and all this other kind of stuff. Is that just... Off the table? I, I don't understand where we, where we get that disconnect from. The whole, the whole um, Psalms 91, all 16 verses are basically saying the concept is that the Lord's going to cover you with his feathers and, and uh, with his wings, and a thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it won't come to you. This is all through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. 
But somehow, and that's even one of the theological reasons. Now, I don't, this is not a main one for me when it comes to the theology of the rapture. But this is part of the theology of the rapture is you will be taken out before the, um, the wrath. And I heard a minister say this one time, and I think he's saying it the right way. He said, Jesus is not going to leave his bride here to get beat up. That sounds legitimate. Now, here's, here's the deal with this is why, why do we reject God taking care of us and providing? Now, now uh, the reason is because we have such, we use the term woke now, but here's the reality. Society's been woke for a while, and it's bled into the church so much. We only recently started kind of waking up to it and calling it something. But this has been working in the church for a long, long time. That if I read a scripture that says God will protect me because I'm serving him, and if I'm not serving him, he's not going to protect me the same way, well, that's divisive. Except that we all are the exact same divisive in everyday life. Unless you're sending all of, your, uh, all of the kids in your neighborhood to college, which you're about to, Actually, they already went. You just have to pay for it. Yeah. Do I need to talk about that for a second? No, okay. I will just move on. But, but here's the reality. You, you take care of your children. You feed and clothe your children. You're not doing that with everybody else in the neighborhood. They're your kids. Not that God divides like that because he lets everybody be his kid. He allows everybody to be his kid. But if you don't want to, he's not going to make you. But he will protect. He said, the Lord watches over those who fear him. You do have to fear him. You do have to be chasing after him. But the Lord watches over those who fear him. Those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death. You know, I, 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 I've talked about this before. That sentence of the rely on his unfailing love. A guy that I really respect online, his name is Dennis Prager. He's a good Jewish guy, but he really, he has a whole series on how there is no such thing as unconditional love. He doesn't believe in it. The reason is because he's Jewish. He hasn't seen the cross. When you see the cross, you begin to understand unconditional love. You understand what I'm saying? He says right here, unfailing love, which should be the same concept as unconditional love. It's, it's in the Old Testament too. He rescues them from death. He keeps them alive in times of famine. As we're going into time frames right now where we need to be kept alive in times of famine. God says that he would. Now, there's, there's things like he says here, you got to pursue him. you got to fear him. There's financial things you have to do, uh, uh, laws of reciprocity that are all through Scripture. There's things. If you will do the stuff that God tells you to do, he's going to provide for you in every single category that he said. Just do what he says. Just go by his guidebook, not yours. And he's going to do some pretty amazing stuff. But he's not going to make you. We put our hope in the Lord, not in our lives, not in our jobs, not in our retirement place. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. What I, what I want us to do, so my goal, again, is just to, when you leave here, that you know Jesus loves you. 
Now, I know there's all kinds of places here um, that, that we're all, we're coming from many different places. And I think Sam's ready. Oh, he's back there. So um, we're, we're coming from all kinds of different places. Some, some of you may struggle with the fact that, that Jesus would love you at all. All right? I'm going to pray about that because you've got to, guys, that is, that's Satan messing with you there. That's Satan trying to keep you from seeing how big God is. Some of you are like, well, I know he loves me, but I haven't been really good lately. And so, I mean, we do that stuff. I don't, I don't care how good or bad my kids have been lately. My love for them does not change. If they get goofy, I may not want to be around them. But that's because I'm human. God's not. That's right. And so, wherever you're coming from, when you walk out of here, you just need to know Jesus loves you. So we're going we're gonna to just sing this song together. We're going to talk to the Lord a little bit. I'm going to pray for us. But I, I want you to spend a few minutes, and we're just going to talk to God and sing this along with Sam, just to, just to get in our head and our spirit. And if you're struggling anywhere with this, anywhere with the reality that Jesus loves you, please let the Holy Spirit do something. Please let the Holy Spirit do something. Let him break down the, 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 the walls. You know, the, take the scales off our eyes, however you want to see that, that we can see that Jesus loves me. Lord, bless us with you. Lord, I, I put myself before you right now. I put every one of us in this church. Lord, just visit us. Every single individual person in this room Open up our heart right now and let us know that you love us. This is not based on anything, just you love us. God, if we start arguing with you in our head and our spirit, God, I, I, just stop it. Lord, stop it. And, and Lord, I pray that you would break whatever that is that's causing us to argue with this. I just break it and open up our hearts to know that you love us.
jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And oh, how He loves us so.
Jesus. So Lord, we return this by telling you that we love you too. Lord, that we love you with our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Lord, we love you with our time, our energy, our resources. We just love you, Jesus. Lord, we want to love you with our voices. We want to love you with our bodies. We want to love you with everything that we have. Lord, we want people around us to know how much you love them, how big you are, how amazing you are. You're the king, Jesus. You're the king. So, Lord, help us this week to tell somebody about you, to tell somebody how much you just love them. God, give us the openings. Give us the opportunity. We just want to tell somebody how much you love them. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Just do that. Just tell them Jesus loves them. And uh, God will love that. He'll enjoy it. And, uh, and it will be an amazing thing for them and for you. So, tell somebody hello. Shake their hand. Tell them you're glad they're here. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.